Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge of the Podcast. And as you guys know, this will be the last episode of the offseason. So uh, by the time we meet next week, it's already going to be previewing draws. You know, we're going to be back to like a more usual rhythm. Whereas here, I actually have a very next-gen centric episode. I don't know how much, you know, we're actually going to be discussing the potential of players because there's a few things that we have to uh, talk about in terms of like minor actually not that minor, even structural changes in the circuit. One of them is strictly related to challengers. One of them is sort of about the challengers, but mostly about the next-gen players. And also, um, there's a couple of other pressing issues, basically. There's also the case of the um, Junior Accelerator program, which I summarized on Twitter like two weeks ago. So I think I'm going to talk about it sort of just in more detail here. And we're also going to mention which juniors will be able to use it next year. So um, just to start us off, I mean, in case someone doesn't remember what the whole program was at the beginning of the 2023 season, and this is why we are summarizing it, because we've just had the first full season of it existing, of it being in place. Um, the ATP introduced something like this, and I guess it's a collaborative effort between the ATP and the ITF, so actually I should say that they both introduced it. So uh, the players who finished the year ranked in the top 10 of the ITF junior ranking are um, capable of entering eight challenger main draws at the challenger 50 and 75 level the following year. And this also includes Grand Slam champions in the juniors. Um, then the players ranked between 11 and 20 plus Grand Slam runners up, they get to enter eight challenger qualifying um, at you know draws at the challenger 50 and 75 level. Um, so we're just going to talk about how the players use their opportunities. You know who did best, who was. You know, who maybe didn't exactly use their chances and how it sort of reflects on them as well. And as I said, then I'm also going to mention who uh, gets the spots next year and also who's going to be like, you know, the most exciting to follow with them. Um, what else? There was also that promotion mechanic, which basically meant that um, if a player who is one of these in one of these two groups that I mentioned, so either top 20 in the junior rankings at the end of the year or a Grand Slam Juniors runner-up or a, or, a, or a Titleist. They also have this ability to uh, get promoted to the main draw of a challenger. This one was regardless of the level. Uh, if they entered it on a, on a Junior Accelerator, if, like, um, if they managed to find their way into a challenger qualifying draw on their own ATP ranking, not on the accelerator, on their own ATP ranking, then they could be promoted to the main draw. But I, I, I can't remember what the exact date for that is, but it can't be like a day before the event, right? So if you get there after the withdrawals, 
that doesn't really count. And that's why it maybe wasn't used as much. I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to dwell on it too much during this episode. I'm going to mention it a couple of times though. But mostly there were just a few players for whom it was relevant, you know. It was uh, Dino Prismic, of course, Jakub Menšík, especially these guys who were already inside the top 500 on their ATP ranking when they were also in the, you know, so high in the junior rankings. I think actually both Prismic and Menšík uh, no, Prismic was, was, uh, had the accelerator because of his ranking, but Menchik only because of his Australian Open run, uh, you know, runner-up uh, you know, finish, let's say, the loss to Kuzuhara in 2022. But anyway, yeah, the promotion mechanic wasn't used as much as we thought. I, I don't think it was um, exactly as relevant as we perceived it to be at first. But anyway, we're definitely going to talk about the, the eight spots that I mentioned. Uh, the reason why I'm not summarizing the college accelerator is that we have only had it for six months now. So I think the right time for that will be at the end of the college season next year. So around June, July. Uh, I think they will be able to use their other eight accelerator spots until the, eight, uh, until the end of June. So the, the period there, the, the one year stretch is between July and June. So yeah, I think that will be a better time to summarize it. Uh, I think this is what we're going to start with, then I'm going to talk about the next-gen changes on the ATP and also the point distribution by round uh, change that we've also seen very recently. There's a bit of controversy with that. And uh, yeah, also I also mentioned who already uh, we know is going to be using the Accelerator program. Actually, it's just one player so far in the first two weeks, I think. Uh, but still, it's a, it's a pretty high-profile, um, let's say, entry to an event. Anyway, uh, let's start with the summary that I uh, that I mentioned before. So, as I said, this was the first year of the Junior Accelerator program, and we had 13 players eligible for the main draw spots. And I have to say that four of these, so so main draw spots, uh, let me remind you, in Challenger 50 and 75, were for players ranked in the top 10, and also in the um, for the Grand Slam Junior Champions of 2022. They had it for 2023. So the four players that make challenger finals out of these 13 were, of course, Nishesh Basavaredi, Gabriel De Bru, Kilian Feldbausch, and da Adolfo Daniel Vallejo. One thing that has to be mentioned, though, is that Basavaredi was the only one out of these four who used his accelerator for that particular event. Basavaredi is also an interesting case because he's the only player so far who is eligible for both the college accelerator and also the junior accelerator. So... Um, he used both, but I think he has only used one college accelerator so far. Anyway, the the event that he made the final in, uh, in the States, that was an event that he actually entered through the junior accelerator. The Bru, Feldbausch, Vallejo, their finals came like a bit later in the year, right? So um, they weren't actually entering these events on the junior accelerator. But as in many cases here, we can sort of just make the argument that perhaps that wouldn't have happened because they gathered both the points and the experience earlier on, thanks to their accelerator spots. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can't honestly say that this is not because of the accelerator program, but it's certainly, you know, part of it, part of how they improved throughout the year and then were able to pick up finals. As I said, all of them made finals. There actually hasn't been a tight list yet um, on the, uh, on the um, sort of, on the main draw uh, list. Anyway, um, 
other player, I think during the year, I might have said even that he might become like a bit of a poster boy for the accelerator program. Then he kind of slowed down. Uh, but I think someone who also took advantage of this was Herat Campagnali, the South Korean Spanish combo, of course. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there were a few events, especially the semifinal in Liberets quarterfinal in Skopje, but he generally was pretty solid, even from the get-go when he wasn't winning matches, he was delivering, you know, got into some tight battles, and especially at that, that sort of summer-ish stretch, uh, I think he was really solid there, I see a lot of, like, maybe Kasper Rudish type of game in him, maybe Pedro Martinez with that heavy forehand, I remember not being too excited for him after the juniors, honestly, because it always kind of felt like, well, he was playing juniors until a very late age, let's say, and um, it just felt like he is beating players who are younger, more explosive, more talented, but I think he has really raised his game and I'm excited to see what he does next year. He is in the top 400 in the ETP rankings as well already, so uh, obviously he's going to get a lot of challenger opportunities despite finishing his accelerator opportunities, spots, period, whatever, however you want to call it. Uh, by the way, Basavaredi, De Bru, Feldbausch, Vallejo, I think, um, yeah, Basavaredi has shown so much potential, but of course he's still in college, so uh, we, we're, we're going to see how much he actually plays, right? De Bru, we've said many times that he's like a bit of a mixed bag so far in that we're not really sure what he's going to be playing like in a couple of years even. Um, he's one of these players where sometimes I feel like maybe even his results so far are better than what his game right now can present. Uh, but, you know, he's so young uh, and obviously has like the sort of physicality and and at the same time movement and at the same time, yeah, just this technique combo to be great in the future. I think so. Um, yeah, just excited to see how he develops, even if right now I don't think there is all that much to his game yet. Just yet is, a, is an important word there. Kilian Feldbausch, um, such a huge run at the end of the year, right? And I think especially the fact that he didn't clay, uh, it makes me super excited for his 2024. And when it comes to Vallejo, um, he's been like more of a like one tournament guy this year, but I don't really think that's due to his game. I, I think, you know, it, it, it's very possible that in 2024 he just gets more regulation and starts producing results on a more regular basis. I think that's entirely doable for him. He beat Tabilo at the Pan, Pan American Games recently as well. So um, I think it's likely that it won't be like this in 2024. Because this year, yeah, I mean, it was the final in Santa Fe and that was kind of it. That was like the only... Well, at least at the challenger level, that was the only impressive result of his season. I think this is somewhat likely to improve in 2024. Uh, Martin Landalusa made two quarterfinals as well, but they were both on uh, wildcards. Landalusa was not in the top 10, I think, of the junior rankings. I mean, he was he was the US Open champion, basically, and that's what I mean. Uh, in these 13 players eligible for main draw spots, of course, we've had... Um, Landalusa as the as the junior champion, we've had Kuzuhara as the junior Grand Slam champion, and we've had Mili Polichak as the junior Grand Slam champion. Um, anyway, uh, going going further. Um, I'm lacking the Rangaros champion. Oh, Gabriel De Bru, of course, yeah. So we've had De Bru, Landalusa, 
Kuzuhara and Policzak. Uh, these were the uh, the uh, junior grandstand champions in that group of 13. But anyway, Landaluce, he made two quarterfinals, he made them on wildcards, but again, just like with the previous players, I think it's just clear that um, all the challenger appearances throughout the year were making his game better. And um, honestly, I think especially towards the end of the season, we really saw that progress with how many opportunities he received. Landaluce was one of these guys here who like had zero pro experience compared to most of them um, by the start of the season. He only had two professional matches. Uh, it wasn't a perfect season by no means, but you know he's super young. He clearly has the ball striking ability, you know, to be a top player. Um, if he gets maybe the footwork to be a little <laughs> sharper, right? Um, I think we can we can easily see him uh, performing much much better next year at the challenger level. And also uh, he had that great run in what was it Alicante, one of these Spanish hardcore challengers, right? where he eventually lost to Lestien in the quarters. I think that one was like a real display of strength. And that match against Lestien was very good too. Um, Lautaro Midon as well. He made two quarterfinals, one on an accelerator spot. Uh, clearly a guy with a lot of potential. I think in these South American challengers, he should have a good year next year. Like, you know, improve on what he did here. I, I think it would be a surprise to see him struggle uh, to, to repeat this. I think also another player who really uh, took advantage of what he was given by the ATP and ITF here. Um, also Gonzalo Bueno, he made Lima quarterfinals. I am actually a little disappointed with Bueno's season, but then again, you know, it, it's still a decent trajectory. It's perhaps not as fast as I was expecting, but it's still a decent trajectory. Um, I just remember in 2022 when he had... Um, that great run in Lima, right? That that was a moment when I thought, okay, this guy could be like really pro-ready in a second. And it, it's taking him a little longer, but if you ask me whether he made progress in 2023 compared to 2024, I would still say the answer is yes. Um, he just sort of lacked a, a signature win, if that makes sense. Like, I just, off the top of my head, and I'm looking at, at the list right now, I just cannot really remember him getting an amazing win anywhere. Well, of course, Barrios Vera, I guess, in March. But in the in that first half of the year, that was that was one of them. But um, yeah, Barrios Vera is usually, other than, than yeah, in the April-May period last year, he's usually so inconsistent that like, I think he is one of the players most vulnerable to upsets. So I can't honestly say that it's a super impressive win for Bueno. There were also a very, um, there were also a few very um, disappointing performances from Gonzalo, where he just plays a good player, like I don't know, Tabilo, I think. Yeah, Tabilo Florianopolis, he wins one game. Trujeriti in Guayaquil, he wins four games. So it wasn't a perfect run by Bueno, but yeah, I'm excited to see if this this sort of trend continues or if he actually blows up in 2024. And I think both cases are very probable, actually. Um, and then we also have five players who did not do well. Gilar Nobai, 2-8 uh, record on the accelerator spots. I think it was pretty clear that Bailly, um the runner-up of the 2022 US Open and also 2022 round Garros, he is a little underpowered for now. I think there is a lot of development that he needs to do. And um, yeah, I'm not surprised to see that. He committed to college recently as well, which I don't think it's a bad choice. Like I, I've seen people being 
like, well, he was such a good junior, right? What is he doing? I think there is really a lot that he could use out of college, both with the sort of experience there, uh, you know, the atmosphere and, and sort of playing for a team and that, that whole deal. But yeah, just good coaching and, you know, good opportunities to improve, uh, step out of his comfort zone a little bit. I honestly have not been impressed with what Bai was doing on the Challenger Tour this year. Uh, but as I said, that was kind of to be expected, in my opinion. Uh, Jaroslav Demin was uh, honestly a complete mystery to me before this season. Now, of course, he is a Grand Slam Juniors runner-up, uh, losing to Henry Serle at Wimbledon this year. Uh, he didn't win a match on the accelerator spots. However, I think there were a few good performances for him. Now, again, because I had no idea about his game, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, I think that the good performances, especially um, against Ofner in Prague when he took a set against Passaro in Tenerife, that was a really good match as well. So it wasn't a horrible year. I would love to see him more on the ITF tour next year, though. Like, I think it was fine this year that most of his appearances were probably challenger or like 50-50. But I would like to see him maybe more on the ITF tour next year, just get more pro matches in. And uh, it's very likely to me that in such a way he could improve. I don't think the fact that he went 0-6 and six on the Challenger Tour this year tells us anything about him like being unable to deliver on that circuit in the future. But uh, yeah, probably now that he's not a junior anymore, I would say that sort of uh, distribution of Challenger and ITF appearances is not really the right way to go for him at the moment. Of course, as I sort of already hinted at, he will be able to use the... Uh, the accelerator spots as well. So we know that he will have some challenger main draw appearances, but um, yeah, I think he should start playing the ITF tour as well a little bit more, which he probably will, right? I mean, this year he was still mixing up ITF, juniors, uh, challengers. Um, yeah, so basically he, he kind of didn't have time for it all, right? He could only like play a bit here, a bit here, a bit here, but... Anyway, uh, still uh, finished the year in the top 10 in the juniors and made a Grand Slam final. So uh, what can we say? I mean, still a decent uh, year for him for sure. And much more than decent, obviously. Uh, Bruno Kuzuhara went 1-7. and seven. I think that was also to be expected. Kuzuhara is severely underpowered. We, we knew it when he played Menchik in that Australian Open final. I know he won it, but we kind of knew it. Uh, but this is a guy who actually has been sort of going for that um, uh, for that Demin uh, for what I just said with Demin, right? He played a lot of challenge, a lot of ITFs this year. Actually, even picked up uh, three titles, I think. Yeah, he clearly proved that at that level he is capable of great stuff already. On the Challenger Tour, though, he was outmatched. I I think I think it's clear to we can say that, right? He was just outmatched any tournament he played, really. I think he got one main draw win, let me find it, over Lucas Katarina in Santa Fe. So, yeah, it wasn't anything exciting, really. Although Katarina, of course, up until he was playing, because later on in the year he was injured, up until he was playing, he was dominating the ITF Tour as usual. So it's not like he had a bad year, but still, um, we know that Katarina has been struggling to make it in the challengers as well. And, uh, yeah, I just have to say that... uh, it wasn't great, but he gathered the experience. Who knows? Um, definitely the fact that he won three ITF uh, titles this year was quite impressive. 
despite at the challenger level just not looking competitive at all. Also, Rodrigo Pachacomendes went one and five. I think he was the junior number one at the end of last year, maybe, or maybe at the beginning of the of this season he uh, he got there. But he was definitely the junior number one. And uh, yeah, Pacheco Mendes actually had this sort of Demin-like, I guess, uh, season as well, where he was playing the cha- playing challengers mostly. I think Pacheco Mendes took it to a whole different level as well, where he only appeared in three ITF events. Again, I don't think that's really sustainable for him in 2024. And um, I'm, I just hope that he's going to play Futures a lot more. Uh, because clearly at the challenger level so far he has also been absolutely like outmatched and uh, most most of the time he hasn't been able to yeah just stay competitive with quality challenger players right and uh, yeah the, the the one sorry the two wins that he got three wins at the challenger level that he got this year only one of them was at, with an accelerator spot I think it was the one in Modena where he beat Lucas Gerch. And uh, yeah, he got a lot of wildcards, of course, in the Mexican swing, right? Because that's that's where he's from. And he got a couple of wins there. Um, anyway, there we also have the last player. So Mili Polichak, 0-6 this year on the Challenger Tour with the Accelerator spots. Um, yeah, I think um, it's pretty clear that so far he hasn't been holding up there. But he is a Challenger. In 2022, he made a Challenger final, right? And we, we do remember how insane he was there. Uh, he beat Zhiren Zhang, Federico Gallo, Mirza Basic, Carlos Jimeno Valero, and lost to Filip Misolic. On the way to the final, he did, did not drop a set. He was upsetting players in every single match. Um, I remember, you know, because player people usually look at his physicality and they are like, how can this guy be a tennis player? Like, how can be how can he move well around the court? But in that Zagreb run, he was actually chasing down drop shots with ease. And I'm not sure what has happened since, you know, because, for example, when he won Wimbledon in 2022, he was serving so huge. But then this year, I know a few good challenger, uh, ITF runs, of course, he won his first professional title. But at the challenger level, he was really inadequate for the most part. Um, was this due to tough draws? Sort of, I think. Uh, Quaco, Holmgren, Hüsler, um, who, was, who else was there? Um, Koboli, Maroshan, Striker, Zepieri. Nightmare draws, 100%. Uh, but yeah, I'm a little worried, honestly, after after seeing this and, and how he was never, never able to replicate that Zagreb run. Um, I think in Sekers for Herva this year, I was even chatting about this with uh, Daniel Michalski because we were watching that Maroshan-Polichak match. And Daniel had just played um, Maroshan in Antalya last the, the week before. Polichak was um, in um, Polichak. He played in Split maybe uh, the year the year before that. So uh, we were chatting about them, and um, basically he was also like Polichak played that one week where he was just ridiculous and he couldn't believe his eyes when he was watching him. And from that point onwards, he just doesn't really do anything impressive. So it's it's surprising to me that it went like this, and um, yeah, I'm just excited to see what he does in 2024 if if that sort of trajectory continues for him. Hopefully not. Um, yep, and let's now talk about the guys who had the qualifying um, spots, the qualifying accelerator, whatever. Yeah, and uh, we had ten players for them. So let's start with the big ones. 
as I mentioned earlier, Jakub Menschik, Dino Prismic, they won their first titles this year. However, they didn't use the accelerator spots all that much because, as I said, they were already ranked really high. Uh, the titles that they won, so Menschik in Prague, Prismic in Banja Luka, they didn't win it on the accelerator spots. So um, they, they can't really be perceived as the players who used this the most, but of course they are the most successful with them. Uh, we also had Michael Zheng in the Palmas del Mar final, but, and that was actually on an accelerator. That was the one where I actually picked him for the title there, which would have been the most ridiculous point ever, if you remember that. Uh, he was in the qualifying still at the time. He played phenomenal tennis that week. However, he then uh, lost to Kei Nishikori in the final, of course, uh, which was a really historic uh, feat as well for Kei, winning a challenger as an unranked player, uh, first event back. But anyway, what I'm talking about is that uh, Michael Zheng, after that final, he was a little disappointing. But just if I remember that level that he had in Palmas del Mar, especially the return quality... Wow, I mean, I, I, I just can't see how this guy will not at some point, you know, find it. I, I, I just think he was far too good there for that. And he's also a college player now, right? So, so uh, of course, it might take him a little while longer. Like, you know, he might slow down his pace of progress a little bit because of that. But, you know, that's that's not really a problem, of course. Um, the... Um, of course, um, the college path to the pros, the college path to glory in tennis is now well documented and uh, and you can do it and, and it's no problem. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, in a, in a few years, I can't see how he's not a top 100 player. But anyway, we'll see. Um, Coleman Wong also made back-to-back -back finals, not on the accelerator spots. However, uh, you know, again, we have to mention that because he had these accelerators early, he gathered the experience and probably then was able to, to blossom. And um, Coleman Wong is actually one of the players that I'm most excited for in 2024, for sure. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the uh, podcast I did with Alex Graskin as well, that first off-season episode this year, where, um, yeah, I mean, the guy just plays tennis the way I like it, you know, he, he hits the ball in a way that other players wouldn't be able to sustain, but somehow it is sustainable. And uh, yeah, I mean, given that we've only seen him sort of succeed in Australia, Asia, against like a pretty set, um, like a pretty fixed set of opponents, let's say. I really want to throw him into an European challenger as challenger in the States and see how he'll fare in 2024. Uh, and also, I didn't mention that, but Menchik Prismic, um, I think it's pretty clear that they're some of the most interesting players of their generation. Prismic, um, we had this conversation also on that pod with Alex, right? Where he was like m way more of a fan of Prismic's potential than I was, uh, which I cannot really get behind at all. What he said there about Menchik lacking a weapon, that's completely the other way around for me. However, um, yeah, I mean, regardless of your opinion, they are the players that people will be looking at in 2024. I can already tell you because I'm also, by the way, uh, doing that top 100 list right on Twitter right now. I'm posting like one or two players a day before the end of the season, um, a list of top 100 debuts and uh, for the 2024 campaign. And um, I have already included Menchik. I think maybe I will do Prismic, but I'm actually not sure. That's how much um, I'm sort of, you know, reluctant to say that 
he is an instant top 100 talent in a, in a second. However, obviously, uh, he uh, does sort of, you know, the discussion around him has certainly been quite interesting. And, and um, there's no denying that people will be looking at him in 2024 and actually expecting some big results. Uh, the other players, Alexander Blocks, uh, he actually didn't use the Accelerator program, which is so funny. I think he applied for one event with the Accelerator program, but then he got there on his own ranking in the end. But anyway, uh, he made the Dunderit semis, of course, in his only ch challenger appearance. Only challenger appearance so far, semi-final. And uh, yeah, Blocks to me, I mean, he could have a massive year in 2024, but he could also have a bit of a, bit of a slower campaign and uh, I will still believe in him probably. Um, yeah, he looks like the real deal, of course. We've been talking about him sort of ad nauseum the, the last um, couple of months because of me being in Dandaret. He was on the show as well, of course. Uh, we I, I talked to him and, and you, you uh, could hear him on this, on this uh, very um, uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, basically, I, I've, I've said it many times, but that match against Mutai was such an insane experience for me live, and I, I do expect big things from him in the future, 100%. Next year, uh, he is also eligible for that accelerator program. I don't know if he'll need it, though, because he's already in the top 350, and in fact, I think already he signed up for a challenger in the first couple of weeks, but I don't think he did it on an accelerator, so... Um, yeah, anyway, expecting huge stuff in 2024, be it on the Accelerator program or not. Edas Butfilas, round two in Segovia, also made the quarterfinal in Pozo Blanco. That was a wildcard, though, uh, probably related to the fact that he is training in Spain. Um, mixed bag, honestly. Uh, Segovia, Pozo Blanco, if you don't know, these events happen, you know, uh, right after one another. So he basically had a good couple of weeks. But over time, I think it got, got pretty clear that Gaubas indeed, out of these two Lithuanian youngsters, already has a lot more pop, a lot more potential at the moment. Uh, I remember saying that in Vilnius uh, when I was, because I was there twice actually, and you know, watched, watched a lot of, watched these guys a ton. I remember saying that Butfilas is the stronger, more solid player at the moment, but with the Gaubas forehand, I could see a lot more potential for him soon. And I think it's already true, at least for now. Of course, there's still a lot that they can change about their games, and they have great coaches. But um, yeah, I, I think Butfilas, all in all, other than the, these two weeks in Segovia and Pozo Blanco, after that, he kind of disappointed himself, probably. I think he was expecting more after these early performances. Cooper Williams made it through qualies one out of seven times. Uh, on the accelerator spots, uh, I think um, that was sort of very okay for what I was expecting from him in 2024. I don't think he was disappointing really. Uh, very early still, uh, and he had a couple of good showings. Actually, that last one in uh, Champagne was was the best for sure. When he qualified, he beats Ivan Zhu and he takes a set of Alexander Kovacevic. So. Um, yeah, I think that was perfectly okay. Uh, obviously, excited for him to play more on the tour as a whole in 2024 because this year it was just yeah, a few ITF events and then of course the accelerator spots. And uh, also we had uh, the three players that, well, I can only say one of these players didn't do well because Bor Artnak went one and six. Um, 
yeah, again, I, I can't really say that was too horrible for him. I think he just picked up the experience and um, it wasn't like we were expecting more for now. And we also had two players who didn't really use their spots all that much. Artur Hea, I sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, I don't know yet. And Jakub Nitzot. And I have to say that both of them, they sort of fall into the same category because they finished the year really strong on the ITF circuit. I think Nitzot, um he won two titles, but also made a fa- made two more finals. One of them, actually, he lost to uh, the Frenchman, Artur Hea. And um, yeah, that guy is actually on a 15-match win streak by now. He is 19-1 and in his last ITF matches. So even though they weren't using their uh, accelerators all that much, you would kind of say that maybe they wasted their chances in a way. But actually, uh, you know, they, they made significant progress in another way. So yeah, and actually in the case of the Frenchman, he was um, playing more challengers than he used their accelerator spots for because, of course, being French, he picked up a few wildcards. But yeah, both of them really good finish to the year. They are sort of like um, Menschigen Prismich last year, right? You could say that, um, yeah, they simply simply picked up a lot of good ITF uh, results at the end of the year and they are entering 2024 with a lot of confidence and with a nice springboard. Um, both of them are around 500 in the rankings right now. So, yeah, I, I will actually, you know, um, watch out for both of them in 2024. If, uh, yeah, if the cases of Prismic and Menschik tell us a lot, uh, that sort of success can easily translate to good results in, at the challenger level almost right away. We'll see. Um, personally, I, I've seen Nick Nitzot live. Uh, I'm a lot less sharp on the on Jazz game, so... Uh, yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But they definitely are entering the next season with a ton of confidence. That that we have to admit. And uh, yeah, we are still waiting for the first title won through the program. I mean, on the actual accelerator spot, right? Basavaredi and Zheng made finals. But um, yeah, as I've said many times, even if their big the, your big run is at the end of the season after you've used them all up you still benefited from that, even if it's maybe less quantifiable than if you actually won a title or made the final on the program. Anyway, uh, as I said, we already have the ITF Junior ranking. In fact, we had it since the uh, Orange Ball was completed a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago maybe. So yeah, let's talk about who we are going to have in the um, Challenger 5075 main draws or qualifying with the accelerator spots next year. So top 10 players plus Grand Slam Junior Champions. So the, the, the players that can get up to 8 spots in Challenger 50-75 main draws. Joao Fonseca, Rodrigo Pacheco Mendes, uh, Schwarzler, Tin, Demin, Williams, Serle, China, Prado Angelo, Blanche, and Blocks and Prismich as Grand Slam Champions. Serle and Fonseca, they also won slams, but they are already in the top 10. Um, Prismic, uh, he won't need it much, right? He's actually eligible for something else that's pretty interesting as well, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it later. But yeah, Prismic, he won't need it much, clearly. Uh, blocks, we'll see. But the other top 10 players, I think all of these, obviously Pacheco Mendes is going to get it again. Cooper Williams is going to get it again. Jaroslav Demin is going to get it again. Although Cooper Williams now will get major opportunities instead of qualifying. Um... Otherwise, we have new players here, in a way. 
Lerner Teen, I think he clearly should benefit from this a lot even next year. Um, I'm interested to see how Federico Cina will do because he's already in the top 10 at a very young age in the top 10 of the junior rankings. I think the same goes for Darwin Blanche, who seems to be the most talented of the Blanche family. And obviously Joao Fonseca. You know, th- this year Joao Fonseca uh, getting the two wins over Sebovild and Kovacevic in his only two challenger appearances. I am so excited to see how he'll perform next year. He has committed to college, I think Virginia. However, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe he makes such a big splash that he won't even go there. And even if he does, I think I read an interview with him where he just said it's going to be for a year, sort of like the Diana Schneider um, case. I think uh, it seems like, at least from you know from our sort of perspective on the couch, on the armchair, <laughs> that uh, Fonseca's career is being led in a very smart manner. So um, I think that's even more reasons to get excited about him in, in case he didn't already have a stupidly good game. And uh, also the players that were ranked inside the top 11-20 plus Grand Slam runners up. So the players that can get up to 8 spots in Challenger 50-75 qualifying draws. We've got Radulov, Zhu, Djuric, Budkov, Kier, Jea, Berketa, Bondioli, Sakamoto, Oyakar and Frusina. And if memory serves right, yeah, I don't think either of these players were eligible for the accelerators last year. Um, who are we most excited for? Yeah, as I said, Ja is just entering the season on such a uh, entering the season on such a good um, win streak at the ITF level. I think, um, yeah, clearly he should be able to take it and, yeah, just this time show more at the challenger stage. The two players that are sort of my let's say my picks for big upsets are Iju and Tomas Berketa. I'm very excited to have a poll in the in the program. Um, the, last year we almost got it with Martin Pavelski. However, he was like 23rd, 22nd in the ITF Junior rankings, so he didn't get it. And um, I think if he was able to, to get some more opportunities at the challenger level, it would have helped him a lot. Maybe not so much because, well... In the second half of the year, he was always like just you know a touch injured, and basically had an awful second half of the season. But still, I think that experience would have really helped him. Uh, whereas Berketa will be able to benefit from that. And as I said a few times on the show or anywhere else, I kind of struggle to see how he's not gonna be a top player in the future as well with that easy power and like the sort of wrist acceleration. Um, and yeah, Iju, I think uh, I've also maybe mentioned him a couple of times because he played that amazing match against Filip Sekulic in Zhuhai and he just seems to me like a guy who could sort of in the future also um, just tune up his game and become a bit of a, yeah, just the, the next great player from China, sort of Zhizhen Zhang-ish style, uh, especially with the with the physicality that he has, which is not, not um, you know, what we're used to from Asian juniors. A few of these players I'm honestly not too sharp on. I don't think I've seen Frusina ever or Juric. Uh, the others I've probably watched at least once, even if it was like a Grand Slam Juniors final only in the case of Oyakar. Uh, then again, I'm, I'm no expert on his game, absolutely, because of that match. No, I, I cannot really say that I know his game. Um, I think another player to be very excited by is Sakamoto, right? He recently beat Rodionov. Uh, he has that insane sort of samurai celebration after matches. I think it will be a lot of fun to watch in these challenger qualifying draws. 
hopefully all of these players you know actually use their chances as well not even if they don't win you know just grab the experience but yeah Berketa Ju out of the out of this group I think these are my picks for like crazy upsets I, I'm gonna say that if they both play eight qualifying draws they're gonna like at least twice give you a result that uh, you're, 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 you'll be like, wow, that's a super impressive win. That, that's my guess. Uh, that's what I'm hoping from for for from both of them. I think they are the guys who are like already at that stage where it is very doable. Uh, Berketa probably will be less consistent. I would think. Uh, I would think that Berketa might not um, be able to produce a couple of good performances in a row. But I, I'm backing him to like find an upset or two. I think this year he has already defeated Hadi Habib uh, on the ITF level, even though he's he hasn't played it too much, uh, maybe like five events, and also he of course was very close to beating Carlos Taberner in Poznan, which was also one of my favorite matches of the year, and uh, yeah, a stupidly good performance from him as well. Anyway, um, let's talk about the two other case things that I have for today. Actually, no, at first I'm going to tell you that out of the first two weeks of the Challenger uh, circuit in 2024, I think we only have Joao Fonseca so far using his accelerator for Buenos Aires, for the, for the main draw there. Um, it's a Challenger 50 and looking at the draw and of course, you know, it's, it's during Australian Open qualies, so the field isn't strong. I mean, it, it's pretty open for Fonseca to try his best there, and I don't want to be, you know, too overexcited, but yeah, I'm glad that we're getting him on the Challenger Tour so early in 2024. Um, let me just tell you, because this is pretty insane, that he has played five Challengers only in his career, and he has already defeated Kovacevic, Seibovild, Tirante, Navone, and the least impressive win, I guess, over Gonzalo Lama, but... But yeah, and that also includes, by the way, that these five challengers that he's played, uh, that also includes a double bagel loss in 2021. <laughs> so anyway, of course, that's, you know, that yeah, that, that kind of shows you that uh, it doesn't matter what your first professional match is. I think Tomasz Berketa lost 0-6-1-6 to Juan Bautista Torres in, in Poznań last year. Uh, Fonseca lost 0-6-0-6 in his first professional match. Well... Uh, that of course uh, is not not a disqualifying performance clearly, and yeah, the two the two things that I wanted to talk about. So uh, there is like a whole brand expansion they call it. Um, it there's a lot of changes regarding the next gen ATP format, and let me tell let me tell you about that. So basically, the age threshold right now will be 20 and under instead of 21 and under. So for 2024. To be eligible for the stuff that I'm going to talk about and also to be eligible for the next-gen finals, you will have to be uh, 20... Uh, you basically will have to be born in 2024 or later. And basically what they're adding is that there are going to be some more opportunities for the uh, top 350 in the uh, Pepperstone ATP rankings. So basically the, the players who are 20 and under in the top 350. Uh, so they will be the next-gen players, right, the brand, but at the same time they will also receive up to 8 ATP Challenger Tour 100 and 125 opportunities, players inside the top 350. There's also more advantages if you're in the top 250, 
or reach that to top 250. So you can get there during the year and then you can use it. And that's one main draw and two qualifying opportunities at the ATP 250 level. Uh, in addition to these challenger opportunities that I mentioned. In most cases, if you are going to be in the top 250, you're going to get into challengers, right? You're not going to need these next-gen spots. However, for 100s and 125s, maybe you're going to need it. Actually, we already have Prismic and Menshik signing up for Canberra with these. So, um, yeah, maybe it's actually going to be more relevant than I think. Although it's still possible that if we get a few withdrawals, they will also get in on their own ranking. Uh, but yeah, these ATP main draw opportunities, right, in the at the ATP 250 level, that's that that's really relevant. I know it's not that much. I mean, one main draw and two qualifying, but that seems to me like it's uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal. And we also have players already using it. Uh, Luca Vanash, in fact, in in Brisbane, is the player. Um, do we have anyone else? Let me quickly tell you that I should know it, but I I still haven't checked that. But yeah, I, I think it's just Vanash. Oh, I know, I know it's why it's just Vanash, because in fact, uh, these opportunities can only be used in uh, weeks when there are three or more ATP Tour events. So technically speaking, we have Brisbane, Hong Kong and Auckland, uh, not Auckland, um, the United Cup in the first week of the season. So that's why this is one of the weeks where you where uh, they can use it. Uh, the ATP 250, um, the, 250 the top 250 players who are 20 and under can, can utilize these chances. Um, but otherwise, you know, the junior college accelerators, they are staying the same and the promotion system is not there in anymore. Uh, as I said, it was a little less relevant than we thought it will be, so it's not a big deal. And uh, also let me tell you who is currently inside the top 250 and 350, right, when it comes to players 20 and under. That actually means that guys like Alcaraz and Rune, by the way, are not next-gen anymore by what the ATP is saying. And, uh, oh, and I will also mention this, that they announced the switch to um, a different date for the next-gen finals, 18th to 22nd December. Honestly, no clue what to think about it, but, you know, it will give me something to watch on these days, which is cool. <laughs> and uh, obviously the next-gen finals is an event that I am extremely in invested in. Uh, next year, when we are doing the off-season episodes for the show, I think we're also going to have something to talk about during the off-season, which will be helpful. So, you know, to me it's cool. I don't know for the players, like, will they treat it as a pre-season warm-up or is it in the middle of the off-season? There's been some, uh, you know, disagreements regarding that. Personally, I think the perfect date was there at first, which was just before the ATP Finals. I think it was the best um, date sort of to get more coverage for the event. Uh, more recognition, uh, but maybe the middle of the off-season also helps with that, actually, because they, uh, you know, the, the people, the, the tennis fans are already hungry for more. I don't know. It's certainly going to be a very different field because, yeah, it's just 2004 or later born. So anyway, who is eligible right now uh, for these opportunities at the challenger level and at the ADP 250 level? So in the inside the top 250, we've got Fils, Vanash, Mikkelsen, Menchik, Prismic, Shang, um, uh, Enrique Rocha. That's all of them. So more or less we can uh, sort of give you a clue in regards to how the next-gen finals field will look like next year. 
I think guys like Menshik, Prismic, they are kind of destined to be there, right? Um, who else was there? Mikkelsen. We'll see how far he goes, but probably as well. Vanash probably gonna is probably gonna play the next gen finals as well next year. Feels if he keeps improving, it's likely he will skip it, right? The the sort of Shelton Musetti move of this year. And uh yeah, I would love to see Yunchek Shang, for example, there, but of course he needs to get healthier first and foremost. And when it comes to the players who are ranked between two top two fifty and top three fifty, that's currently Coleman Wong, that's currently Gabriel De Bru. And also Kalin Ivanovsky, Ethan Quinn, and Alexander Blocks. Blocks, if he makes the next gen finals next year, I think no one would be surprised by that. Definitely not. Um, otherwise, maybe Coleman Wong, if he really has a great year. There are a few players here from like the 2023, um, 2003, 2003, sorry, born players who might be a little angry about it, you know, because they might never get a chance to play the next-gen finals. Someone like Layal, Pechi Pericard, I think this year they, they could have had a shot, but, well, they, they won't. And that's why we also know that Hamas Medjedovic won't be able to defend his title, even though he would have been eligible with the previous rules. And, uh, yeah, as I said, it's, it's literally who is currently in the top 250, or reaches the top 250, so you can ascend to that level, uh, to the 350 or 250, and get the opportunities. So it's not year-end ranking, just like it was with the um, junior accelerator, right? So let me also tell you that the players who are currently close to sort of making that jump, Coleman Wong is just, just outside the top 250, in um in terms of the higher sort of op better opportunities in terms of the challenger ones we have uh Vilus Gaubas really close right now and we also have Gerard Campania Lee uh, or Gerard if we if we wanna say it in Spanish I guess um yeah I guess that's more or less it maybe Gonzalo Bueno if he has a good year Stefano Sacraridis is surprisingly high in the rankings but I guess that's because he plays every week right but yeah, top 400, wow. I, I don't remember him having, you know, that sort of results. Kylian Feldbausch, oh, um, I mean, he is pretty far off and Landalusa as well, but they could easily get there. Maybe Lernartin as well. Basa, no, Basavaredi is not going to play that much, of course, because of college and, and the other stuff. But but yeah, anyway, that that's that's basically it. The players who are currently close to ascending to that sort of level. And uh, yeah, I think this is pretty exciting. I like the next-gen spots for sure in ATP main draws. Um, players shouldn't be too angry about it because it's like pretty restrictive, right? It's only in the weeks when there are three or more ATP Tour events and the ATP has, has kind of been working towards decreasing the number of weeks like that. Uh, challenger opportunities at the 100-125 level for top 350 players um yeah i mean why not uh the the 20 and under change people were already complaining about the next gen finals field this year i don't know if that's good um Medjedovic wouldn't have been there if that wasn't the case right and he obviously won it and had an amazing run Fields would have been still playing it though um for me personally i really want to see that event anyway i'm so excited for the next year finals of next year already you know the 20 and under players uh, i'm surely gonna be watching it covering it talking about it so um yeah i i, I have to wait and see right I, I'm, I'm not gonna pass any judgment here 
And the last thing that I wanted to mention for today, uh, we are already at 50 minutes, by the way. I was expecting it to be like a bit of a shorter episode, but clearly not. And uh, the last thing was that Antoine Bellier tweeted a couple of days ago that um, he hasn't been notified, he hasn't been asked, he hasn't been surveyed about um, a sort of change in the point distribution, you know, round per round at the challenger level. That's going to be happening next year in uh, December. uh, That's going to be happening next year. And um, yeah, what he's talking about is that in 2023, at the Challenger 75 category, uh, obviously that, that stays the same. The, the winner gets 75 points. But the finalist, for example, in 2024, he will get six less points. The semi-finalist will get eight less points. The quarter-finalist will get uh, four points less. So, yeah, I'm not sure what I think about that. Apparently, according to Koenberg's Zizu's dad, by the way, a great follow on Twitter in case you're interested in Zizu's career. But yeah, also a, an interesting player to follow, by the way. He, he, he tweets a little bit. Um, but, but yes, the Zizu's dad, definitely a, a great part of tennis Twitter. And um, he said that the players, well, at least some players, apparently not everyone, since Barrier wasn't surveyed, but apparently um, some players were asked and this change was done in collaboration with them because they actually felt like because of the increased points at the challenger level they couldn't really um, sort of step outside of their comfort zone and try a main tour event because they felt like they were being punished for it because they felt like the points that they would get there someone else at the challenger level at the same time was going to get more, was going to be more profitable. It's it's problematic. I understand it. Uh, I think, yeah, um, one of the, of course, the long-time followers of the show, Betty, compared it in a, in a DM to me to, um, Renzo, to when Renzo Olivo was complaining in 2022 about um, sort of the, the amount of challenger... 50s and 75s that is happening during Grand Slam qualifying weeks. I think clearly the ATP has done something about that as well. But basically, Olivo's point was that he is playing for like usually, let's say, 8 or 16 points if you win one or two matches in Grand Slam qualifying. Whereas out there, someone will improve their ranking a lot because they're playing a challenger for the usual points, but only against players ranked below 250. And I, I understand the point, but, you know, if, if you don't want to, you don't need to play the Grand Slam qualifying. So, I mean, if he wants to play in these weak challengers, go ahead, right? Uh, if you actually win the event, it's going to be beneficial. Maybe not in terms of the money, but in terms of the points. But, um, yeah, I, I understand, you know, how the situation is a little problematic. I'm not keen on this because I, I generally believe, and it's not even the worst in tennis, like, for example, in darts... In most cases, the finalist only gets 40% of the prize money of the winner. And in darts, prize money also functions as ranking points. Uh, In tennis, most of the time it's 60%, right? So at the Grand Slam level, you have, at least on the men's, you have 12,000 points for the finalist and 2,000 for the winner. And that is generally pretty consistent among levels. Um, However, I, I sort of feel like it's not enough for the most part. 
like I, I would like it I would like it to be closer. I don't think losing the final or winning the final should be such a big deal. Like I think it's more sort of important, it's more impressive to get to the final in the first place than to actually win it. That's my opinion. Like that's that's you know of course I, I understand that many people will disagree and they will feel like the final should be the most important also in terms of the points. To me, winning the title, being number being the, the, the top player at the event, that's already like a big deal. Enough so that we don't need to increase it, increase the stakes with the points as well by that much. Of course, it should be more than the finalist, obviously. Um, so, so to me, if I was taking that, I would actually go in the other direction and maybe slightly, just slightly, I, I'm just talking about the slight change, increase the amount of runner points that the runner-up gets. Maybe it's uh, two out of three, which actually was the case at the Challenger 75 level, by the way, because after when they changed from 80 to 75, they only changed the points for the winner. So at, in this category, it was actually just like I wanted it. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I would be going, you know, in general. Whereas right now, uh, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of pressure in the final and like whether you win the final or not is going to mean even more. Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely the players wanted to be encouraged to play ATP 250s more than just to, you know, stay, grind, try, keep, keep grinding the challengers. I think there is a bit of a um, trend among the players, let's call it, to consider the players who keep grinding uh, the challenger tour somehow less brave, less bold than the ones who are playing the ATP 250 level. Maybe that is true, maybe it is less ambitious, but it can be smart in the long run. And after all, there's, you know, there's only a few stars of the sport and there's a number of players who sort of live on either making Grand Slam qualifying or maybe making Grand Slam main draws, uh, you know, as, as many times as they can. Um, so yeah, I have very mixed feelings about this. Um, I hope that a lot of the players were, you know, taken into consideration that they were asking them that it's just a case of Bellier not, you know, not being in the conversation. And he said that there was no announcement from the ATP about it, even, even to players. And he found it out by checking the fact sheet for the first events of the year. Um, so, you know, this clearly is not consistent with what some other people have said. So maybe it's just a random case that Bellier wasn't asked, who knows. But anyway, uh, yeah, personally, I'm not a fan of this. We'll see how it works in practice. Maybe we get less top 100 debuts because of it, who knows. Maybe we get more players indeed trying at the ATP 250 level and they improve their ranking because of the big runs that they might find there. I don't know. Um, I think clearly there should be, even if the players were notified indeed or weren't, you know, whatever, I think there should be more transparency about it in another sort of official announcement from the ATP. That's something that, you know, as a, let's say, a media member, I, I, I would love to have. Like, I, I, I shouldn't find out about it from Antoine Bellier's tweet, uh, I, I think, you know. I, I, I would like to have that sort of info. I'm not going to say sent to me or whatever, just publish it on the ATP website or something like that. But anyway, uh, you know, that's that's another deal. Tennis is definitely very secretive about that sort of 
things, the, these sort of things, right? Even the next-gen spots that we were talking about in the ATP draws and challenger draws, up until very recently, we didn't know what that was. And they eventually announced it, but I just felt like it was very late. Um, this, this, this time, you know, we, we didn't actually get any announcement yet. Uh, of course, it's going to be in the rule book or like, yeah, the fact sheets that uh, Bellier was talking about. But uh, yeah, I, w I wish there was more transparency. But anyway, I, I understand, you know, the, the, the basics of the decision. I understand what they're going for. We'll just have to see how it works. You know, sometimes tennis makes awful decisions like the 2019 ITF ranking and like the ITF spots in challenger draws and how there were only 600 professional players. And of course, after half a season, we returned to the previous system. So sometimes you have to make a terrible decision only to backtrack it very quickly. It happens. But anyway, uh, thank you for being here today. Um, as I said, I thought it was going to be a shorter episode. I hope it was entertaining to you. I certainly had fun recording it and sort of thinking about all of these changes once again. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next time, probably in 2024 already, right? We've had um, three years by now, almost three full years, because in 2021, the Challenger season did not start in the first half of the year, in the first week of the year, sorry. Uh, so it's almost three full seasons. I think this is the 153rd episode of this show. Um, I'm glad to keep bringing it to you and have had a lot of fun recording this. Of course, especially with Jakub, uh, who was on over 100 episodes, I believe. But um, yeah, even even doing this by myself in the last three or four months uh, since, his, uh, since his death, I had a ton of uh, fun just yeah sitting here, talking to my computer, but actually talking to, to you, of course. And um, I'm glad that a few of you are... Uh, sort of keeping the the, the, the personal um, connection there as well, you know, texting me about something they've heard on the show or about something they would like me to talk about or about, yeah, whatever, really. Um, it, I think it's definitely sort of helpful to, to know that someone is there on the other side of the line. Uh, I might even post this episode, I think, on Twitter. You know, I you guys know I rarely do that, but I think there, were, there was a lot of uh, interesting info here uh, included about that you know, about the accelerator programs and how things will function to sort of bring you that in, in a bit of a one episode form instead of having to read a couple of different articles and tweets. But um, yeah, um, let's keep going in 2024. I'm definitely no, no nowhere close to stopping uh, for the last three years. I've been doing this every single week. I've never, never missed a day, let's say. And uh, yeah, let's just, let's just keep going because I think it's it's been... Uh, super fun for me and uh, yeah obviously it's not a project you know I I do for like big money or recognition but um, yeah I just do it for fun and I, I certainly do have it still anyway uh, thank you guys for for listening as usual and I'll see you in 2024 bye